vision for us and our city is that we find fullness by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living for Jesus. Last week, we looked at how everyone is looking for some form of fullness. Many feel as though there must be something more to life. For Christians, there is something else in life. In fact, it's not a something else, it's a someone else. Jesus, who is God. And today we'll look at, from the Bible, exactly how is it that we can be with Jesus and for Jesus to make our lives to the full and how our relationship with Him uh, can be real in our very lives. And so when it comes to being with God, look, it's very common for us to feel that God is distant. And at times of emotional and spiritual pain, it can feel like God is abandoning us. It can feel like God is nowhere near to us. And in this now classic novel, Silence, Shizuka Endo presents one of the most masterful exploration in the history of literature of this very painful experience. The story follows the first Christian missionaries to Japan. Against the backdrop of interrogation and torture, Father Rodriguez wrestles with God's distance and his apparent silence. And in one particular haunting passage, the mournful ambience of the merciless sea is compared to God's silence. The sound of those waves that echoed in the dark like a muffled drum. This was the sea that relentlessly washed the dead bodies of Mokichi and Ichizo. The sea that swallowed them up. And like the sea, God was silent. His silence continued. The experience of feeling God's distance and silence is real. There's no undeny, uh, to, to deny that. But the Bible does comfort us with the truth that God is, is indeed closer than what we might feel. In fact, so close that God is within you by the Holy Spirit. And this is the incredible claim about Christianity. I can't think of any other faith that claims God to be so close, so intimate with His people that He would even reside in His people. And in today's passage, we read about this comforting truth. Jesus is going to leave His disciples to go and die on the cross alone. And His disciples are fearful and anxious. They feel like Jesus is going to abandon them. And it's indicated by Jesus using the image of orphan for them. Emotionally, the disciples feel like the loss of Jesus, like a children losing their parents. But Jesus comforts them with a promise that he will be with his disciples always, even though he will physically leave them. So let's pick up the story from verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is going to leave his disciples to return to his Father, but he's going to take a not-so-direct way to the Father. He will return to his Father via the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension. This is his, the only way that Jesus will take but it will be the way, the path for others to come into the Father's presence. 
Jesus expected his disciples to understand this as he has been teaching them for a while, but they still didn't fully get it. Thomas wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't quite get where he was going. And so Jesus kindly and patiently explains to his disciples, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to the Father, the way to the kingdom of God, the way to eternal life. And Jesus says he is the only way to all those things. Because Jesus speaks and embodies the truth about God. No one else shares the very life of God and no one else has dealt with the problem of human sin by bearing it on the penalty of sin on the cross to bring people back to God. No other God, Messiah, leader has done that. And so that's why Jesus tells Philip from verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather... It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Only Jesus is the way to the Father. At this point, some of you might find Jesus' claim quite uncomfortable. Maybe offensive that Jesus would say that he is the only way to God in eternal life. You might say, look, that is very exclusive and perhaps very arrogant for Jesus to say that. I prefer to be inclusive. I like to think that all faiths and all religions all lead to God in heaven. I would say that Jesus' claim of exclusivity is based not upon his arrogance, but on his uniqueness. Firstly, Jesus is the only person that claims to be God who dies. A God who dies for his people to bring them back to God. No other faith leader claims to die for his followers in order to forgive them of their sin. All other religion says that to reach God, you have to earn your way to God through doing good works. Only Christianity says that there is no way to earn your way to God. The only way is to be forgiven by Jesus, by believing that he died for you. There's no other religion anywhere that would ever dare to say that their God suffered and died for the love of his people. Secondly, Jesus is exclusive, sure, but I would say it's the most inclusive exclusivity. All other religions are also exclusive. Most religions say it's only the good people, it's only the morally superior the only handful, the only the enlightened ones get to go to heaven or nirvana or to be with God. Even the claim that all religion leads to God is also exclusive because it excludes those who think differently. So all views are exclusive, but which is the most inclusive is the question that you need to answer. Jesus is most inclusive because it allows the weakest to come to God. Because because that Jesus is a God who dies and suffers, he allows the morally inferior, the bad people, and not just the good people to come to God. Jesus' claim to exclusivity is not because he's arrogant, but because he is unique. He is God that suffers and dies so that all people, no matter how good or how bad you are, all people can come to God. 
And therefore, it's totally reasonable to believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one claims like He has. But in order for Jesus to pave the way for His disciples to be with His Father in heaven, He will have to leave His disciples to die on the cross. But Jesus will only leave the disciples only for a short while. He will return and He will be with His disciples again in the Holy Spirit. So we read from verse 16, and I, are, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Word cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus gives the deepest reassurance to the disciples with troubled hearts that he will not leave them. Jesus himself will come and be with his disciples in a different way, through the Holy Spirit, who is an advocate, who is a defender, a comforter, a counselor, to the disciples. The world's not going to accept and understand the Holy Spirit because the world only sees and understands the world only in naturalistic categories, not supernatural ones. But the disciples will know the Holy Spirit because they will receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. On that day when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will realize that Jesus is in the Father and that Jesus is in the disciples through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death and resurrection is not only giving us an offer of forgiveness, Jesus' death and resurrection also gives us another gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who will unite all believers to Jesus in a new and greater intimacy with Jesus, even more intimate than when Jesus was physically with the disciples. Now, it's important to understand that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not filled with a thing, we're filled with a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or energy. Uh, when we think of spirit, we tend to think of Star Wars, like the force that comes in and out of the Jedi uh, Masters. Um, the thing is, Christians can talk about the Holy Spirit like a thing like a force, uh, using language like unleashing the Holy Spirit or activating the Holy Spirit or being pumped by the Holy Spirit. And I would say it's, it's actually quite strange to talk about a person like this. So for example, Amy, my wife, lives in my presence most of the time. And so if I went to Amy and I said, hey, honey, I want to unleash you in my life. I want to activate you. I want to pump more of you. She would look at me and be like, what are you talking about? I'm right here. I'm fully in your life. You can't get more than that. If you keep talking to me like that, then yeah, I'm going to unleash something for you. So, so the Holy Spirit is not something that gets pumped, doesn't get scooped. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't get slung around or gathered or dispensed. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
the very person of God who dwells in us. And so when we feel that God is distant or that his presence is lacking, it's not that God is far from us and it's not even that God is not fully with us and we need to ask more of him to come into our lives. No, God is fully in you as a person. The whole person of the Holy Spirit is fully in you. So no matter how you might be feeling or no matter where you're at in terms of where you think you are on the spiritual spectrum, God is fully with you. So the issue is not on God's end. He is always fully with us. The issue is more on our end that we struggle to be with God and relate to Him who is fully with us. It's just like how you can be living with someone uh, in the same home or the same house, but the relationship is cold and distant because you're actually not relating and talking to each, each other. So that person is fully living with you, but you can feel cold and distant because you're not relating and talking to each other. And look, there are times where Amy and I, we struggle to talk and relate to each other, but we work through it because we know it's going to be good and healthy for our relationship. And one of us, out of grace, in love and grace, will take that initiative to draw us out. I think it's the same with God. We relate and talk to God through His Word and prayer, and God, in His grace, will at times draw us out to be in His Word and to be in prayer. So God speaks to us in His Word, because we read that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. We read in verse 17. And if you jump down to verse 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the words of the Bible so that they're not just mere words, but those words are the very Word of God for you. The Holy Spirit, you can say, personally internalizes the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit helps make the Word of God personal and intimate. So I'll give you an example. I was converted to Christianity when I was at university. I heard the gospel through a lot of talks, and there was one Sunday afternoon where um, a person would approach me at a station, and he just gave a simple gospel track, and he asked me a number of questions. He said, oh, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I go, yes, I do. Uh, do you believe that uh, Jesus uh, died for humanity? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus died in order to forgive humanity's sin? I said, yes. Uh, I've been learning about all this at, at university. And he says, like, why don't you become a Christian? What are you waiting for? And I thought for a moment, it's like, I said yes to those three questions. I should become a Christian. And I said yes, and I prayed a prayer, and, and that day I became a Christian. But the funny thing was, like, a couple of days later, uh, I was studying IT as one of my subjects, and um, for some reason, um, the IT, you know, course likes to have group assignments, and so you might experience being in a stinking, hot IT lab trying to do a, a group assignment on an IT project. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, but that moment, I had this overwhelming sense of happiness, but also I was crying. It was the first time that I actually walked out of that uh, IT lab 
to have a moment to gather my feelings where I was tearing up, tears down my face, and I had the biggest grin. I've cried before and I've smiled before, but never at the same time. Uh, And the reason why is because I just began to feel that Jesus not only died for humanity, but he died for me. And I began to realize and sense and feel and acknowledge that Jesus not only died to forgive humanity's sin, but he died to forgive my sin. And for me, I look back as as a very clear moment of the work of the Holy Spirit. When I was earlier and younger, I thought, oh, maybe that's when I got the Holy Spirit. But as I've been older, I think I got the Holy Spirit before, but the Holy Spirit had been working as I was working on this IT project to make me realize that the Word of God is spoken personally. And so I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes the Word of God personable. So you might have a similar experience, not at your conversion, but maybe along your Christian life where you'd be reading your Bible and you know that the Bible is written to an original audience, but all of a sudden you feel like God is speaking directly to you. Or you might rock up on Sunday where you hear the Word of God being preached. And as I preach, I preach to everyone, but you might feel that all of a sudden in that moment of hearing God's Word, you feel like God's speaking to you very personally. Um, so that I think that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It, help us, it helps us to have an intimacy with God through His Word. And so intimacy and the Word are inseparable in being filled with the Spirit. They go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit makes the Word personable and intimate to you. And I think it's a shame that um, we've kind of tried to divorce these two things apart. So you might hear of uh, churches claiming that we're a spirit-filled church, or you might hear churches being uh, calling themselves as we're the word-based church. Uh, but we see here that to be spirit-filled is to be word-based. The two are inseparable in terms of us as a church community who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a danger if we try to divorce the two, try to divorce what the Holy Spirit is trying to bring together. If you're a spirit-filled church that is not based around the Word, then you can be very emotive, very intimate with a God that may not be the true and living God as shown in the Bible. You might be worshipping and feeling intimate with a God that is based more around our imagination or perhaps our feelings and desires of how what we think would want God to be. But if you're a word-based church that is lacking a sense of intimacy, a personal relationship with God, the danger is that we can be following God's Word in a form of stoic obedience to His will instead of having a passionate obedience to His love and His presence. So intimacy and the Word are inseparable as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think of those two things as we move into thinking about how does those two things, being spirit-filled, plays out in the life of our church. And so the two practices for us to be with Jesus in the spirit of truth are two main ways. These are not the only ways, but these are the two main ways. Sunday services, gathering together under the God's Word, And we've also introduced a new Bible reading devotion called A Moment with Jesus. 
So let me start with Sunday services. Sunday services is an opportunity for us to gather together to hear God's word, but also to meet with God personally. And that plays out in terms of every aspect of what we're doing. We're trying to be intimate with God through His Word. Intimacy and the Word are inseparable. So that means, for example, what we sing or for the music team, we want to sing in a way that draws our intimacy to God. We want to pick music and songs that are emotive as ways to express our personal relationship with God. But we also want to have lyrics that are word-based, that are expressing the true and living God. So we want to bring those two things together. So that gives you an insight in terms of how and why we select the songs that we select. When it comes to service leading, service leading is a way for us to declare who God is and who we are in God's eyes. But we also want to do it welcomingly. We want to do it friendly. We want it to express our welcome and invitation for people to meet with God. We're not just saying truths like a textbook. We're saying truths to show you, to engage with, and to have an encounter with the true and living God. When it comes to preaching, I want to preach in a way that is biblical and truthful, but I want to preach in a way that engages people's affections. It engages not their mind, but engages their heart, so that what they know to be true is not something that is of um, abstract knowledge, but is the knowledge of the true and living God who is a person who loves us and cares for us. So that's how we try our best to make our Sunday services spirit-filled, to make intimacy and the Word inseparable. And so for everyone else who comes to church, know that you rocking up here on Sunday, as ordinary as it might feel in the setting that we are in our building, it is a supernatural work for you to be here. It requires the filling of the Holy Spirit for people to be drawn to God through His Word. So don't underestimate what it means just to simply turn up. I'm thankful because I see miracles today. Uh, I don't need any more miracles. I just need the miracle of you guys turning up um, because it is, requires a Holy Spirit to fill you to actually come and gather to hear God's Word. Without it, we could be easily doing any other thing to occupy our time. So be thankful uh, and to have that spiritual perspective as you greet and welcome one another and even if it's the short period of time over morning tea, have a heart of thankfulness. Have a heart that sees the supernatural power uh, for each of us to turn up today. The next way we do it uh, beyond our weekly practice and rhythm of coming to church on a Sunday is that we can have an opportunity to be with Jesus in the every days of our life, from Monday to Fridays, uh, even on the Saturdays. And there's not one way of reading the Bible and praying to God. Uh, but for, uh, a moment with Jesus is just one way that we want to encourage all of us to read the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, if you prefer a different Bible reading plan, that's fine. Um, but we want to encourage as one form of us to do it uh, together. And I want to encourage in terms of applying intimacy and word, here's a couple of tips. 
the emphasis is, as the title suggests, to be in a moment with Jesus. So spend that time to dwell in His Word in a much slower pace. The emphasis is not about reading the set reading and ticking it off and posting something on it. The emphasis is to actually just to sit and be with Jesus. And I find to do that, sometimes place is, is actually quite helpful. So as you find meeting another person, you usually find a place to do that. Um, that's quite natural. Um, and so to do that with Jesus, so it's not just this kind of two-minute thing where you open up your phone and have a quick read and roll off to your, another day. Sometimes designating a special place to be with Jesus is quite helpful. So some, I know, who like to have their morning coffee uh, as their regular routine. You can choose that to sip your coffee slowly and do that as if you're doing it with Jesus, with the Bible open. Probably don't order a second coffee for Jesus at the table. That might be a bit weird. Uh, but I think maybe metaphorically or imaginatively, that might be a helpful way to just to slow down. Um, and so I think in terms of what you can post on this Facebook group, so we created a Facebook group for people to share the reflections uh, and thoughts about their time with Jesus. Here's a bit of encouragement and tip. S- post something that shares about that time and moment that you had. Share about how Jesus has spoken to you personally. And so when you post, don't post about thinking about what other people should think about when they read the passage, but just post personally. Um, And so this is not a bit of a a little dig at people. I know some people I've noticed, like, they just copy and paste the the Bible verses again, uh, and that's great because it brings our attention. But I think to really encourage people, don't just copy and paste the verses, reflect on it. Take the time to dwell and let those words speak to you personally and share how God has spoken to you personally. Because I think as people see how God has spoken to you personally, they'll be drawn to actually have a moment with Jesus for themselves. So it's not a dig, I'm just trying to encourage you, how can we actually make this even more worthwhile, to be more enriching, so that it's not just a to-do list that we tick off, but it's a genuine time that we spend fellowshipping with God. And so as we've seen that God is not silent, but it might feel silent because the dust on our Bibles can be very thick. And so the way we have time with Jesus is to actually go and dust off the Bible, open up His Word, and know that every time you do that, He will not be silent. He will indeed speak to you. And there might be times where you open up a passage and it might not feel like you're connecting with it and it might not be speaking to your specific situation. Know that God is not silent and it does, still does something to you. Because every time you open up the Bible and get into His Word, that Word is shoring up your foundation, shoring up your assurance, shoring up His love for you, And there'll be a moment in time, later down, a week's time, a couple days' time, a month's time, where you're in this situation in life and that word comes to you again. And so God is never silent. God's word is always powerful. We just got to come to him and not let him dwell in us in a way that our relationship with him becomes cold and distant. 
but let's come to him because he's always accessible to us and come to him in his word and in his prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that when our hearts are troubled, Lord, our hearts are so troubled, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us every day. And there's not just a bit of you, there is the whole of you who dwells in us. Give us that peace, give us that comfort, give us that assurance that no matter what our weeks will be like this week, you are indeed with us. And so help us to come to you in your word, to hear your voice, and help us to respond to you in prayer, to have this beautiful divine dialogue so that all of us, no matter where we are, whether in the city, in the inner west, or in the burbs, Jesus is with all of us in the everyday moments of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.